0: The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the hosts and the guests. Hello, and welcome to Two Millennials One Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Gable, and today we're talking about Democrats. Before we get started, I'd like to remind everybody to please subscribe, like, and share this podcast. We're available on every major podcasting app, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, CastBox, you name it, we're probably on it. As I said previously, we're talking about Democrats today and specifically how Democrats deal with the millennial generation. And I am joined by an authority on Democratic Millennials, Shade Shorten.
1: How's it going? Thank you for having me.
0: No problem. We're happy to have you. Obviously, you will have noticed by now that Abby is not here. She has some prior commitments which is a bummer, but she'll be on the next episode, I'm sure. All right, Shade, tell us your story. What are you all about?
1: I'm Shade Shorten. I'm from Kirksville, born and raised in kind of rural Missouri. I've been involved with the Young Democrats for a few years now. I kind of got involved with a friend as a field organizer in Reno. I took some time off school, moved out there completely out of the blue, and it kind of propelled me into a lot of different avenues and different options that I had within the Democratic Party. I spent some time in Washington, D.C. for a summer, and I spent a little bit of time in our state capital. So been and out a little bit I've seen a lot of different facets of how our democracy kind of functions I am by no means an expert but it's been quite a journey so far and one that will continue on Currently, I'm the president of the Young Democrats of Missouri, and we are an organization that is growing constantly and trying to kind of find our spot in the party and our spot with young people. Our organization is ages 14 to 36. So we range in a wide group of ages and people in all different facets of their life. And so we're really trying to figure out how can we mobilize these people? How can we create a network of young people across the state that are really able to get together and know that I might not have to be the most involved person? I might not have to volunteer or work on every campaign or do these internships or spend a summer in Washington, DC to call myself a young Democrat. It's really making sure those doors are open because that's what the Democratic Party preaches is an open door policy. And I think it's really important that we continue that way and continue that idea of looking at how we approach everyone in that sense. And so that's kind of my overarching big tent idea for the young Democrats. But then it gets down to a lot of like nitty gritty specifics. So that's where we're rolling on from there.
0: That's really cool. I'm happy to hear all that stuff that you're involved with. What led you towards the Democratic Party? Was that instilled in you as a young person? Or was it something you discovered along the way that, hey, this is a group of people that are more like what I believe in?
1: Yeah, well, it really did start when I was young. My grandma was really involved with the Democratic Party on a very local level. And she was a delegate for President Clinton in 92. And when I was little, she always needed a road trip buddy. So she'd take me with her and I'd hold the map and I'd point the directions and we'd go to lots of different campaign rallies and parades and different meetings and town halls when I was in like an eighth grade or something, I was like, I'm a Democrat, but I had this coming to moment. I was like, am I a Democrat? And I went through all of these things and kind of realized that that is where I fall into and in all my ideologies and kind of my ethics and where I think that our nation needs to move forward with. And since then, it's just been a growing passion of mine. It wasn't anything that anyone made me believe. I mean, growing up in Northeast Missouri, it's not necessarily the most popular group to get involved with. I found it hard during high school. lot because none of my friends were Democrats. You really had to hold strong to your convictions and know that like at some point you were going to find other like-minded people out there. Getting to college and getting to meet people and finding other individuals that were already involved with the party really propelled me to be able to kind of create not necessarily a career but a really great passion out of it. My involvement with the party or just the idea of politics in general has really grown, I would say, over the past two years. I've always thought I was interested and made it a passion of mine, but it's really become into something
0: more. Hearing your story reminds me a lot of my own I had the exact opposite situation as you. Northeast Missouri, very conservative, and you are that liberal person in there. And that obviously presented challenges. And in my hometown, is very liberal. And I was the conservative flower child that preached small government and no one agreed with. And obviously, I've abandoned all of that at this point. (laughs) But I can relate to that, and I understand what you're saying. That's tough, and it's cool to hear how that translated into some resolve for you. It sounds like it strengthened your positions and your beliefs having gone through that. And that brings me to my next question. We are on the verge of an election here. The primaries coming up on August 7th, and this episode will drop the day before. A lot of talk of blue waves, a lot of talk of a resurgence in response to Trump down ballot. Is this something for real such that Northeast Missouri is going to experience maybe this groundswell of Democratic support?
1: I think that's something to be really careful about when Democrats talk about this blue wave is that it's not something that's going to happen to us. It's something that like we've got to rock the boat. We've got to make that happen. And I really do think that in a lot of places this blue wave is going to happen. People are getting out. They're mobilizing. They're knocking doors. They're making phone calls. And they're really making a conscientious effort to step up and say, what? am I going to do this time to make sure 2016 doesn't happen again or doesn't happen again for a long time? 2016 was kind of, for a lot of millennials, it was the first big election that happened to us that really rocked our boat. And we were like, oh, wait, things aren't always going to be necessarily always okay, or even moderately okay. And this blue wave I'd like to hope that it's going to hit Northeast Missouri just as hard as it hits anywhere else. But the reality of it is we just don't know. We've got to look back and see how things have gone before. And up here, Missouri is not a red state. We constantly call it a red state and people say, but I really think it's purple. And I think it flips. I know it flips back and forth. And so we've just got to make sure that even in our rural areas, people are showing up. August 7th, we have some incredibly important primaries, a lot on the Republican side, and we have right to work on the ballot, which is huge. And it's it's become a little bit of a political issue, but it really isn't. It's a working man's issue, a working man and woman's issue. This is cliche, but unions are a really big backbone of the state and a lot of states. And we've watched as other states that have brought right to work in, they have lower wages, their economies are worse, and Missouri needs to continue doing everything it can to stay on the right path and if we let right to work pass all of this work that people have done all of these 30,000 signatures people have gotten just to put it on the ballot to make it an option for Missourians i think will kind of go to waste and i think it's really important that we don't see this primary election as just a small thing before the actual 2018 midterms, that we show up and we treat this as just as important of an election as any other election, because it kinda is.
0: It's exciting to hear you talk about this. I'm not a Democrat by any means, but hearing you as a young person, you understand what happened, you understand how we got to where we are, and I'm not putting the blame of where we're at now on the feet of the Democrats. I'll spread it everywhere, we all did this, but it's promising to hear that you know what needs to happen and and yeah, going into the rural districts and a Republican has won 40 years in a row, but still being there and showing your platform and making your position viable, that's positive to hear. And I hope that is happening in more places because we do need the confluence of ideas from both sides, three sides. You just need more. You can't have that stagnant rule that seems to exist in some places. So that's really positive to hear. The vast majority of people that listen to this show are millennials. I don't know whether they're heavy voters or not. What does the Democratic Party have to offer them?
1: I get this question a lot. Like, how do we get millennials involved? How do we get them here? I hear a lot of millennials say, well, you need to offer us something. Well, what's going to draw us to the party? What's going to bring us to your doorstep? But I kind of turn that around a little bit. And I got a lot of friends that haven't always been involved in politics or haven't always been interested. But they might do an internship or they go volunteer for a campaign once. And then just getting your feet on the ground and getting them wet and kind of seeing what it's all about can really propel you in and kind of give you a reason to get involved. I think millennials need to know that these people that are voting right now, that are making our laws, that are sitting in office, that are running all of these advertisements are not going to be there for a long time coming. We've got to step up to the plate and say our voices matter just as much as yours. They always have and they always will, no matter what age you are. We've really got to say we're going to do this. We are going to get involved. We're not going to sit back and let other people do it. Sometimes I think for millennials, it is a little bit an offer. It is like, well, your policies don't fit my ideologies. So why would I show up and why would I do this? But if you don't get involved, you can't ever make those policies fit what you want them to say or how you want them to make you feel. I think that is the same for millennials and young people that are in urban areas and in rural areas too. I've noticed this a lot up here that we talk a lot about young conservatives that are in college or in high school feeling ostracized or kind of different than their peers because there's more people in their area that are maybe more liberal democratic leaning, but I would kind of twist that around and say, well, what about these young liberals that are living in really rural areas? I think their voices are just as important. And by kind of turning that narrative around and at least acknowledging both sides of that situation, I think that it can make a lot of people a little more willing to let their voices be heard. We shouldn't ask young people to always say, I am a Democrat or I am a Republican, because I think that alienates them from the entire process. So just as Democrats need to open their doors, they need to say that, well, we'll let some other people in, we'll let other ideas in. So more people get involved.
0: So true. And As you're saying that I'm thinking about what you said previously, this idea of needing to grow the tent. And you can talk about the divide up and down the Republican Party currently. But if you think back just a little bit ago, there was divide up and down the Democratic Party with Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. And you have this more progressive uh, democratic socialist wing. And then you have the more traditional centrist. I mean, you guys have just as many divisions and factions as a Republican Party or a Libertarian Party or any political party. However, you guys were hit on that as far as we didn't get that tent big enough. We all kind of went with this one direction. We're going to use our super delegates and all this to make this thing happen and it was going to happen regardless. You can argue it for Bernie all you want, but it was going to happen. But that, like you said, that alienated a big chunk of your party and how many Bernie supporters went and voted for Trump, which I could never justify or understand, but I mean, that phenomenon happened. Clearly, are we looking at other strategies in this upcoming election of how do you grow that tent? How do you welcome in the progressives and the centrist and make this Democratic Party actually something that can compete with whatever the Republicans are doing?
1: I don't have a great answer for that, but I'm a little more of a centrist Democrat. I will lean a little more right on some issues, not all of the time, but a little more likely than I'm going to lean super left. And I find myself sometimes like thinking and criticizing in my own head, like, well, these people, they need to come a little more in and they need to do this. But then I remind myself that I've got to be accepting of both all of the time. Every day you're doing this, you've got to shift a little bit. And I think just being more self-aware and trying to look at the party as a whole. Sometimes you really look at the area where you live and what immediately affects you. But for us to be able to grow, we've got to look at the bigger picture. We've got to look at these other people. And we need to start communicating with our urban areas and our rural areas so much more because it's not happening. And I think that's what's really hurting the Democrats. I think sometimes it's a little easier for Republicans. A lot of their ideas may kind of blend over but Democrats really focus on a lot of societal issues and that creates a big divide but if we start talking in our urban areas understand what's going on in our rural areas and our rural areas start understanding what's going on in our urban areas we can start to bridge that gap and I think that's the first thing that we need to do as a party as a nation almost people don't know what's going on in other areas and I watch it even with our own state party that's functioning and they do a really great job but there's still a divide with how our party operates there's still a divide with how our campaigns operate our statewide campaigns and making everyone feel included because we will alienate and we will send democrats over to the republican side if we don't start listening that's the thing I am most worried about my mom is a chair of a local county party of democrats and That's a really big issue. And it's how do you make these people that are older and younger in these communities really feel like their voices are heard or they matter? I think until Democrats really figure out how to do that and they at least make it a priority, we're not going to be able to grow and we're not going to be able to widen that tent and make 2018 really the election that matters for us.
0: I think you are seeing the Democrats figure that out to some extent. I mean, you're having some legitimate Democratic Socialist win in places or upset centrist candidates. It's for areas where that's needed. And then the thing about Missouri, you have Claire McCaskill, for instance, who in some states would be a Republican. She is centrist. I mean, that's what she is and that's how she gets elected. And that's what the design is. If you're in a representative body, you're supposed to represent your people. Where that gets to be problematic is how do you transcend that for the country? And this segues me into my next question. If we're looking at 2020, I know strategists and Democrats and Republicans and everyone hates this question, but is there a candidate that can transcend that divide in your party between far left and center and then even further that can win the country back from this whatever we're in right now this populist wave of almost fascist beliefs is there another barack obama waiting in the wings that can pull these people or i mean where are we at right now because you guys are it i would love a third party to come in but it's not happening it's up to you guys to do this
1: the thing is Barack Obama came out of nowhere and really blew up, and a lot of people didn't know who he was before he hit the national stage. I have an idea of the kind of candidate I'd like to see run for president. I try not to jump the gun too much, and I don't even have names that I—I I don't have two names that I would like to see. There's a lot of people that I know want to run for president, but I want to see someone from the Midwest, from the center of America run— I would love to see a president, a Democratic president from there. It's easy to let someone from California or someone from New York run, but I think that's still going to continue the trend of having someone in the White House that is not connected and doesn't really know what middle America is like, what it is like to live in a rural area, what it's like to go to a school that has to cut Classes because they can't afford teachers that can teach these higher level AP classes or these other classes that kids need to be able to be prepared to go to college. There's a lot of different issues that middle America is facing that granted every state has huge issues. We have border issues. We all have funding issues. But I think we need someone, kind of the working class and the people from middle America can really trust and know that they have been there, they can stand up for them, they know what it's like. I think that's the kind of person that Democrats and Republicans need to run. At the end of the day, I'm a Democrat, blue and true, but... If there was a Republican that stepped up, that was the best candidate and could push these policies, we've got to make a decision for our country. We can't sit here and go, well, this is my party. This is what I want. We need to put our country and our states and our communities best foot forward. And we need to find the person that can do that. 2018 is going to say a lot. I try not to look to 2020. I want to wait and tackle this first. But now is when we need to start preparing for 2020. A couple months ago, people are like, oh, what are we going to do for 2018? These midterms are coming up. And it's like, it's too late. You've got to buckle down and you've got to get ready for these elections. But your preparation time is over. Now is the time to really sit down, figure out. Where you need to go. If you are a party leader in your state, if you're a volunteer, you need to get an idea of what you want to see. Getting involved, you can actually make a huge difference in that. Two years are going to fly by really quick. And if we don't figure out now what we want to do with those two years and how we want to make the moves that we want to make happen, it's not going to play out well for anybody.
0: You know this, and I hope your party knows this too. The Republicans sat through eight years of Obama. Now they control all three levers of government, and they're getting literally nothing done outside of that obnoxious tax cut, which you can debate that all day. And that's the big knock on Republicans is you had a decade to figure this out and you, you hit on it there. If you don't start thinking about that now, whether you win the election or not, then you were going to spin your wheels when you get in there. So that's insightful. And just general props to you, what you described there previously was you would put country over party, and we simply need more of that. You can be the most staunch Democrat out there or Republican out there, but when it boils down to it, yeah, we've got to start putting our country over our party. So hearing you say that, if you ever run for political office, I'll vote for you. I don't even care what you're saying. That right there is enough for me. I hope that's instilled in more younger Democrats and Republicans, and I I think that is the knock on the Republican Party right now, is it's not country over party, it's party over country, and look where we're at, folks. That's what that gets, All right, so play a hypothetical with me. Let's say you guys take the House and the Senate and you get your own president in 2020. Is there talks that you would, as a party, perhaps push for an amendment to eliminate the Electoral College? Is there talks of like, hey, we need to restore voting rights. We need to make it easier to vote than harder to vote because, I mean, you guys have had power in the last 20 and 30 years and there have been attempts to do these things, but ultimately it hasn't happened. And you guys have cost yourself now two elections, 2000 and the one that just happened in 2016. I feel like Democrats need to, for the sake of the country and for the sake of their party, step up and make some of these changes where truly the best, most favored candidate wins. Are these things you're talking about? Because I couldn't find anything in the platform about removing the Electoral College. There was stuff about voting rights, but I think that's something as an outsider that you guys should be talking about right now.
1: I can't speak for everyone and I'm not even sure exactly how I feel about removing the Electoral College. There's been two elections that it really hasn't worked out for us. But the idea of the Electoral College, just in the fundamental sense, it really isn't a terrible idea. I think the way it's worked against us in a lot of ways is that it's made a lot of people believe that their vote doesn't matter. That when they go to the polls, or if they even do go to the polls, it's just almost worthless. You can kind of battle that a little bit because if you live in a red state, if you're a Democrat, your votes not really getting there and it's not showing what you want. I do think the popular vote is really important and I, I don't know if we should jump the gun on that quite so yet. And I think that's something that we need to address. But I don't know if it's really helpful to Democrats to put that at the forefront of our platform if we were to control the House and the Senate and the presidency. I think there's a lot of more really important things that we need to tackle first. I
0: completely agree with that. I just think it's something you should be thinking about because Republicans are systematically making it harder for you guys to win. You can point after state after state where 60% of people are voting for Democrats, but Republicans control 60% of the legislature. They are purposely trying to to eliminate your party, and something needs to be done. I agree, don't run on that, but if you guys control all three levers, again, something to think about from a, an anarchist sitting here <laughs> talking to you. We'll jump back to local for a second, but I do want to ask you, what are your political aspirations? Clearly, you are educated, you're involved, you're a great public speaker, you have ideas, you're not too far one way or the other. You would make a perfect candidate. Do you have plans on doing anything like that?
1: I'd really like to run for office one day, and it's not so much of a, I want to keep my career going, or whatever kind of idea about that but i grew up in north missouri grew up on a small elk farm which is interesting in its own and my mom and my grandpa owned a rural waterline construction business i went to a small catholic school in macon and i was surrounded by a lot of these rural issues and we've got a lot of things that are on our plate that aren't getting the attention they deserve because we do have republicans in office that are not paying attention to it because of special money interests that are funding them things like foreign owned farms we have a ton of foreign farms. And I want to live next to someone that I know, just as much as anybody that's in town wants to know their neighbor. I want to know who's owning this land. And it's not some foreign company that's coming in to farm it so they can get tax breaks, or they can make more money just because they're coming in and they're owning American land. I think Americans should own American land, and I don't think that's a controversial issue, but it is. And the people that put that in place were Republicans. They let those laws slide. If you want to say, oh, I'm pro-America, and I'm a Missourian, and I care about our farmers, well then show up and actually do care about your farmers instead of just making this facade. And that's kind of where I want to go with it. I care so much about this community that I grew up in. My dad's a small business owner. And so many people are like, well, I just assumed you'd be a Republican or all these things, but you can't let these ideas define you. You have got to be able to have your own ideas and know why these issues or why being a Democrat is the right thing to do. And it's not always the right thing to do. But going back to your community is where it's the most important. And I really enjoy where I grew up. I think Missouri is straight up one of the best states. I had a teacher when I was in middle school refer to Missouri as the armpit state. And I just remember being really offended by that. I was like, well, maybe not completely wrong. But I still still didn't like it. It's just knowing that these are the people you grew up around. This is the community that helped you. These people deserve someone that's going to have their best interests in mind. Right now, I'm still young. I don't know everybody's best interests and I can't claim to say I have all the answers. But I know that we deserve to have someone that's representing us. And a lot of communities don't have a solid voice that is independent in their own right. And to continue to stay independent and continue to be able to have your own ideas and not be tied down by someone I think is the most important thing if someone even wants to run for office I'd like to run for office one day if that's not the case it's just fine but I think that making sure that our communities are strong and making sure there's people that are watching out and are advocating for them is the most important part
0: have you ever fantasized about where you would enter at as far if you were going to run? Are we talking city council? Or are we talking state rep? Thinking state senate? Where are we looking at?
1: I'd like to run for like a state rep or a state senate position. But that's not to say that I wouldn't ever be interested in running it for the city government. I've watched a lot of great people run our city and a lot of great people dedicate their lives to public service in Kirksville and Macon and the surrounding communities. It's kind of one of those things when it's the right time in the right place. I'm young. I'm still kind of deciding where I want to get a job and it's going back to that thing where it's kind of frustrating it's like man I really like living around here I really like this community but it doesn't always have the job opportunities that I need to further my career right now it's almost disheartening to know that I'm going to have to leave for a little bit to build my career and to do these things I don't want to leave the state because I really like my state but it's one of those things that we all kind of have to realize at one point that you're going to have to get out you're going to have to go somewhere else and then being able to come home at the End of the day, and knowing that your community is still going to be there to support you and that you can come back and give back to that community that's done a lot for you, I think is really important. And for kids to be able to leave and to be able to further themselves in their education or their experience, I do think it's important for them to come back to their hometowns and do what they can. But at the same time, we as a party or the elected officials really have got to make it a priority to make sure that these opportunities, like bringing tech jobs to smaller areas or making sure that these kids. If they want to stay in their hometowns, they can. They, They have these opportunities. I think we need to make that a huge priority because we are watching a lot of kids and young people have to go to larger cities to get that experience. And it's frankly not always fair. That's a really big priority for me because I'm entering that stage in life where I'm finally like, oh, I've got to do that now. It's not something that was in a distant future and it's not something that I can just kind of talk about, but it's really a reality.
0: You have very good insight on what is affecting millennials as, I mean, you're going through it but you're picking up on it you're distilling it and you're able to spell it out are you going to be the one that breaks the glass ceiling Ooh. do you have any ambitions that high yeah perfect. i sure do perfect
1: i would put myself aside and say i hope someone gets there before i do but it's definitely been a dream of mine for a while i know in eighth grade they did these prophecies and stuff and they were like shade's gonna be the next hillary clinton and that was way before any of that stuff happened and i was like well i have brown hair so i'll be like something different <laughs> <laughs> To me, making sure that women move forward and get involved and run for office is the most important thing. And it's kind of interesting that through like my time and I took a year off and I worked, I looked back and I was like, oh, I only worked for women during my year off. And it wasn't anything that I had intentionally done or set out to do. But it was kind of cool because not long ago, that wouldn't have been the easiest thing to unknowingly do. It's not something that I'm like, I'm only going to work for women. But I think it's really important to put ourselves out there and talk to your peers and let them know that if they want to run for office as a woman or they want to do this that they should there's been many a people that have put their input out on that and probably studies done but they always say tell someone they should do it and so this is my moment of being like if you want to run for office if you want to do something if you want to apply for that job do it and don't worry about being the best because most likely you might be and you just don't know it you might sit there and consider oh I don't know someone it might be better than me but you may be the best person for that job. And if you don't actually show up and stand up and speak up for yourself, then somebody else is going to do it and you're going to have to take the back seat. So go, girls.
0: Very wise words. And <laughs> I hope every listener that hears that takes that to heart because that is so true. What Republicans coming out of this area for the state senate does uh, good old Nate Walker? Is he going to be able to pull that out, Craig Redmond, or that uh, O'Laughlin, oh. terrible lady? I'll go ahead and say it.
1: This state senate race is. Gonna be rough. It has been rough. And I have been maybe outspoken on social media enough that I am not a fan of Cindy O'Loughlin. I think she is one of the worst people to come across our state senate race in a long time. She is not here for the people, she is here for her own interests. She is here because she got big money to back her. I just don't see her showing up for the people that matter. And you know what? I don't endorse any Republican candidate, but Cindy O'Loughlin is not good. And Craig Redmond is going to be another Brian Munslinger. And Lyndall Shoemake is not a great option either. And Nate, great candidate, has really served our Kirksville area super well. He has served the 3rd District almost the best way that I thought a Republican could. He's shown up and fought for Truman which has really meant a lot during these budget cuts, and has really shown that our Northeast communities are just as important as any other districts in the state of Missouri. I spent a session in the legislature as an intern, and I was on the House floor every day. And while the Democrats, I thought did an even better job, I thought Nate really outshone himself and did a great job working and within his votes and standing up to his party. And that's the thing with these Republicans. If you are a Trump Republican, and you cannot stand up to your own party and you cannot say no when you need to say no then you don't deserve to represent the 18th senatorial district there's a lot of working people here there's a lot of people that deserve someone to stand up for them and cindy laughlin is definitely not the person to do that
0: i concur on all accounts last question why are democrats so much more accessible than republicans why can't i not get a republican to appear on this podcast could you answer that for me (laughs)
1: you know what maybe on a local level it's a little bit different but I think a lot of times Republicans just do not want to answer the questions that people want to ask them I'm going to go back to this 18th Senate district race but I asked Mrs. O'Laughlin how she was going to fix our roads and bridges she has this really great move where she pivots and she talks about this umkc quote dance studio and it's an arts conservatory and it's for the music and arts and it's not a dance studio it's not even important but Republicans voted for it and she've worked to fund it and it's not funded yet, but she keeps pivoting back to that. She doesn't want to answer these questions. I've watched her do it in a debate, and I've watched her do it on social media. And I asked her, I was like, okay, let's get past that. How are you gonna fund these roads and bridges? And she never gave me an answer that had policy information in it. And I think that kind of comes back to it. I think a lot of these Republicans have been scooting by by the skin of their teeth on millionaires to fund their campaigns and special interest to get them into office, and they don't have to show up and say what they really think. A lot of people run for office and don't even have to put up yard signs because they know the votes are already there, and they're getting into office, and they don't know why they're there, and they just know they have to vote with the Republicans, and they don't understand the issues that they're voting for. Now, there is a lot of Republicans that do understand those issues, and I'm not saying that they don't, but I think when push comes to shove, there's a lot of questions that deserve answers, and they are not giving those answers, and they're not willing to give those answers because there's clear answers to those questions and it's not what they want to say. I have a lot of friends that are Republicans and Republicans that I do respect, but the ones that are kind of making their voices heard that are getting out there a little bit more, I don't think they're really wanting to talk about it.
0: And I have firsthand evidence of that as we have been trying and trying and trying for weeks to get a Republican to come on the show. Zero and I reach out through a Twitter comment to a Democrat, and Shade Shorten's here in person. Given an interview answering the tough questions, I cannot thank you enough for appearing. Thank you for sharing your information about your party, and that was enlightening for me, even. I try to stay connected politically, but that was good. It's it's nice to see what you've done with your life and where you're headed, and I, I wish you the very best in any political aspirations that you have.
1: Thank you so much. This is my first podcast i done, so I would say it went really well.
0: Right on. Last thing, we end every podcast with a song pick of the week, so I will give you like 15 seconds to think about some bop or jam that you've been rocking out to and if you could share that with our listeners we would really appreciate it
1: the one that I have been listening to today on repeat which there's a lot of them Ariana Grande has been up there but High Hopes by Panic at the Disco has been at the top of my playlist
0: always a good pick with Panic I'll throw out there Mess Her Up by Amy Shark I know I've been suggesting a lot of her lately but uh, that gal is awesome I love her tunes so check those songs out thank you all for listening this week I hope you enjoyed the interview with Shade Shorten follow her on social media you got a twitter handle or anywhere you at lampshade
1: c-h-a-d-e
0: at lampshade perfect we'll link to that thank you for checking us out folks have a fantastic week